Hey, Cracked fans, as winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Cracked Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, gammasports.com slash tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro which all of you Gamma String users will enjoy. And even if you're not using Gamma Strings, maybe now's the time to start. But they've also got polyesters, everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint, all in one location. Just go to gammasports.com slash tennis right now. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Again, gammasports.com slash tennis. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, March 22nd. As promised, on today's podcast, I want to focus on the ATP and WTA tournaments that ended last week. We had two fantastic ATP 500s in Dubai and Acapulco. We also had WTA events in St. Petersburg and Monterey. Now, of course, there were challenger events. There were college tennis matches played across the globe all weekend long. We are going to talk about those matches on this week's podcast here at Crack Rackets. We are going to save them for the Great Shot podcast feed, though. David Gertler going to join me to recap last week's challengers, preview all of the action ahead. I believe that is going to be a podcast recorded Wednesday morning, so probably a Thursday release. Of course, Chris Halliorce Mastikoyak going to be joining me tomorrow night for a college tennis Great Shot podcast at all you will be able to hear on Wednesday. So rest assured, as always, we try our best to have everything covered here at Cracked Rackets. But because I was in Cleveland last week covering the Challenger action, and if you have missed any of my coverage, you know, my t- conversations with players like Bjorn Fertangelo, Jensen Brooksby, Hunter Reese, Evan King, Alex Galloway, uh, Alex Galloway, excuse me, Robert Galloway, uh, Alex Lawson, you can find all of those conversations on our Cracked Interviews podcast, or you can go watch those interviews on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. It was such a fantastic event. A huge shout out to Sam Paul and the entire top-notch management team, Alex Guthrie, Laura, you know, uh, Kyle Ross, everyone. I could literally name their entire squad. They were so accommodating, and again, the amount of work they put in to have the first American challenger of this 2021 season. A huge shout-out to them. Again, we'll talk more about the action in Cleveland, everything that happened on the Challenger Tour last week on the Great Shot podcast with David. But of course, the reason we are able to talk ATP and WTA action here today and what I'm going to be doing, steering the ship. Again, I'm going to save a Miami preview for tomorrow. I'm going to try and get, uh, I don't want to reveal the guest in case it doesn't happen, but his name rhymes with Ren Bothenberg to join me to preview the action in Miami, but again, I just want to recap last week's events on today's show, talk about the players who most impressed me, and the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get 
from all of you listeners, the support we get from our Patreon family, and of course the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports. Because, again, we've been a little bit shoddy here on these mini-break podcasts. I want to get right to the action. I will simply say you know the deal by now. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. You'll find all of the best equipment at all of the best prices. But with that in mind, let's start with the ATP action in Dubai. Because, uh, Dubai, in Dubai, excuse me, because, folks, I've been racking my brains looking for a comparison from what we've seen from Aslan Karatsev really over the past 15 months, but in particular on the ATP Tour to start this 2021 season. I'm trying to think of a comparison to maybe anyone in the past who made a similar jump at age 27 as Karatsev had today. And we don't have to get into Karatsev's past. It's a little bit checkered. There are some allegations of some unkosher actions. And again, nothing's been proven, so I don't want to soil his name unfoundedly. But even by bringing it up, perhaps I didn't. If so, I apologize. Nevertheless, you look at Karatsev, who, again, right now, he is 27 years old. He's up to a new career high of number 27 in the singles rankings. After he wins his first ATP career-level title, that it was a 500-level title for his first victory, speaks to just how well he has played to start this season. He advances to 15-2 and two overall as he knocks off Igor Gerasimov, Dan Evans, Lorenzo Senego, Yannick Sinner, Andre Rublev, and then Lloyd Harris to capture his ATP title. Again, just a bit of history on Karatsev. He, coming into the 2020 season, was ranked number 292 in the world. Now, you look over his uh, since the start of 2020. He is 51-13 and 13 overall, folks. Let me say that again. 51-13 and 13. In the 64 matches he's played, that's an 80% win percentage. That is the elite of the elite. We, it was moons ago, but nine months ago when we were in the midst of the pandemic, I talked about the prime of the careers of Djokovic and Federer and Nadal. And their prime seasons, they're winning 80% of their matches or higher. That's what Karatsev's done over his past 15 months. And yeah, a lot of those victories came at the challenger level last year, but he made four finals, won two challenger titles last season. He did it across multiple surfaces as well. Three of those challenger finals coming on clay. One of them on hard courts, of course, shocks the world by making that set run to the semifinals of the Australian Open, comes through qualifying, then beat Schwartzman, FAA, Dimitrov, before losing to Djokovic. I mean, he's 15-2 and two now. To start his season, he's only uh, losses are to Djokovic and to Dominic Team, And again, 292 to start the 2020 season. His previous career high was when he reached number one. I believe it was in the top 170. He was number 165 back in April of 2015. So back in April of 2015, he would have been about 22 years old, uh, 21, 22 years old. And that would have been a really nice place to be, by the way, a 21, 22-year-old inside the top 160. But then again, struggled to find his form, to find consistency over the past five years, but clearly, and he talked about it, he clicked with his coach at the end of 2019 and throughout 2020 and here in 2021, you just see a guy in full control of every aspect of his game. And I know he, you know, you look at the numbers, he's only making 56.3% of his first serves, which isn't great, but he's winning 76.3% of his first serve points. He's winning 52.2% of his second serve points, and he's holding 84.4% of the time. Now, if you look at Tennis Abstract's 80, uh, stats, 
stats leaderboard. And by the way, all of these stats, as always, coming from our friends at Tennis Abstract. Who are the leaders in hold percentage right now in the ATP Top 50? Well, Raonic and Isner are the only two guys. Oh, excuse me. Raonic, Isner, and Berrettini, the only three guys right now over uh, 90%. Uh, it goes Raonic 91.4, Isner 91, Berrettini 90%. Beneath them, you have Nadal, Medvedev, Opelka, and Rublev. They're all above 87%. Right now, that number I mentioned for Aslan Kartsev, that 84.4%, that would currently rank on the tennis stats leaderboard right behind, let's see here, right behind a guy by the name of Denis Shapovalov. It would rank number 12 in the ATP top 50. So he's serving like a top 20, top 15 player on tour, and that's what allows him to take opportunities in his break, uh, in his return of serve games. And here's the real crazy number for you. Again, 51 and 13 in his last. 52, uh, since the start of the 2020 season, that 33.1 break percentage he has, 33.1, which means, again, he's breaking serve a third of the time. You want to compare that to the best players on tour right now. 33.3 would rank uh, third behind Nadal and Schwartzman alone. So it's above Djokovic, behind only Nadal and Schwartzman as a returner. He's a top 15 server, a top three returner. That makes sense that he's 15-2 and two here now in his uh, two-start 2021 in uh, the matches he has played. And, you know, again, it's his ability to take the ball early off of both wings. That forehand is so dynamic, and I don't know how because it feels like that backswing is so big, and yet he's able to catch the ball early out in front and, you know, rip through the court. And then, you know, his return of serve on the backhand side is just so natural, his ability to drive through that ball. And, yeah, it's a little bit flat, but he can change directions with it. He can take the ball early. He's comfortable moving forward. He's, you know, again, his movement's not incredible, but it's really, really good. He's a fantastic anticipator. And then again, his ability to cut off the ball, be inside the court, be aggressive to take that ball early and down the line, keep his momentum going forward. I mean, you look at his wins this week, three sets over Dan Evans, three sets over Sinego, three sets over Sinners, three sets over Rublev. You look overall on the week, again, it took him six victories to get the job done here. He was broken a total of, well, actually he was broken a pretty healthy amount of times. I think he was broken 14 times in his six matches, but that speaks to his ability to, again, uh, when he goes, you know, 4-0 in the three-set matches he plays here this weekend. He just continued to find solutions, continued to attack. He won over 70% of his first serve points in all of the matches he played this week. When you have that sort of confidence on serve, everything else is going to work for you. And again, in that final against Lloyd Harris, I know I haven't talked specifics yet. He got out to early breaks in the first and second sets. Uh, you know, he broke Lloyd Harris in his first game of the first set. He broke him in the very first game and in uh, Lloyd Harris's first service game, obviously, of the second set. That was all she wrote. And the big story was against Rublev, where... The first, the set he played, that first set where he beats Rublev 6-2 may have been the best set of tennis played by anyone on tour this season. His ability to go big down the line, absorb the pace of the Rublev forehand and go either cross-court or down the line with his forehand or backhand and just take risks, be aggressive, play to win. Obviously, he and Rublev both know each other quite well, but it was outstanding. It was absolutely outstanding. And so Aslan Karatsev, he's the real deal, folks. And again, I've been trying to think of historical parallels Certainly the jump Stan Wawrinka made from top 20 to Grand Slam champion was probably the most similar unexpected jump we've seen on the ATP Tour, but 
27 years old, now 27 in the live rankings and in the ATP rankings, excuse me, and that feels correct. It doesn't feel like it's a fluke. This guy has been that good to start the season. He was that good at the challenger level last year. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. What a story, Aslan Karatsev. And I mean, look, uh, I do want to also give a shout out to Lloyd Harris, who has been phenomenal over his last 52 weeks. And I talked about this a little bit last week, but he's 26 and 13 now. He made final here in Dubai. He made quarterfinals in Antwerp at the end of last year, quarterfinals in Cologne at the end of last year. He's just been good. There's no other way about it. I mean, the wins he had this week, Shapovalov, that three-set match. Oh, Denis Shapovalov came so close. And I'll get to Shapovalov at the end because I want to throw a stat at you about him and FAA. But look, I mean, this week, Lloyd Harris, uh, he, again, how many wins did he have? Coming through qualifying, he had seven and wins. So he went seven and one this week. He was broken a total of one, two, three, uh, four, five times in his seven victories heading into the final, uh, and then he was broken three times in the final. So yeah, he was a rock uh, on serve all week long. He's winning 76% of his first serve points. He's holding 83.3% of the time. That would be a top 20 server amongst top 20 players. Yeah, it's a little one-dimensional, and you know he gets so passive when he's put in baseline rallies, and he moves pretty well for a guy his size, and I actually think he can take big cuts at the ball when he's that far behind the baseline, but Karatsev just beat him to the spot. Harris was excellent this week. Karatsev was just better in the final. But Lloyd Harris up to a new career high of number 52. And again, given where he's been his last 52 weeks, that feels about right. In terms of your other action in Dubai, look, again, Rublev, his win streak at the 500 level, what he ended at 23. It's not the all-time record. It gets snapped, but it's one loss to Karatsev. Karatsev played incredible. You, you don't take anything away from Andre Rublev, who's been just as good as he was last year to start this season. Denis Shapovalov, eye test, he's passing by every metric. He looks fitter. He's playing more aggressively, more assertively. Lloyd Harris just came up with a couple of big shots in the biggest moments. Again, there was, I think, maybe three breaks of serve total. They all came in that second set. Shapovalov was right there. He won, uh, I believe, 75% of his first serve points in this match, and he made 67% of his first serve points. Now, Harris was a little bit better, and that's the difference. 8-6 in a tiebreaker in the third, but the athleticism of Shapovalov, the continuing, evolving skill set, profile, confidence. I'm a big believer still in Denis Shapovalov. And then the last one, Yannick Sinner, who lost a fantastic three-set match to Karatsev. Just want to point out, Sinner, up to new career high of number 31. He's 25-11, and 11, all ATP-level matches in his last uh, 52 weeks. And you look for him, again, I mentioned in those last 52 weeks, he's played, I think, 12 total tournaments. He has made, of those 12 tournaments, total tournaments. He has made the semifinals uh, in three of them. He has made the quarterfinals in six of them. He's here, folks. It's all the real deal, and he is here to stay. I should also point out, and Jeff Sackman tweeted this in the so it's at Tennis Abstract once again. Uh, the last time there was a final at the ATP 500, or I think just a final in general. I don't know if it's a 500 level final or a final overall. We'll see here. Uh, the final in Dubai between the qualifier Karatsev, uh, Harris and the wildcard Karatsev is the only the seventh ever ATP final between a qualifier and a non-seeded wildcard in the open era. Speaks to, again, 
it's an era of change right now in tennis, and it's fascinating, certainly, to see guys like Karatsev and Harris continue their ascension. That's the action in Dubai. I want to move to Acapulco now, and look, let's preface it as it needs to be prefaced. Alex Vieira faces serious allegations of assault and misconduct off the court, and the fact that the ATP Tour doesn't have any sort of mechanism to address those allegations facing him, facing Basilashvili, who was formerly charged in Georgia, and, you know, that he's allowed to play with, and it's this big cloud of mystery. How do we address what Alex Vieira is doing on court without addressing what he's doing off of the court? It's a huge blemish on the ATP Tours record. There's no denying that. There's also no denying the fact that Alex Vieira is starting to put all of the puzzle pieces together. I mean, he was dominant throughout the week. He comes back from 4-1 down in the first to knock off Tsitsipas 6-4, 7-6, in the final in Acapulco, and you look for Zverev, who at age 23 has 14 ATP titles. That's more than Burdich, Nishikori, Tim Henman, Patrick Rafter, Lubacic, Rayonich, Fonini. You look for him now, it's his 23rd final. That's more... and. Compared to the rest of the next-gen crew, which is, again, 96 or later, it's more than Medvedev, who has 17, Tsitsipas, 13, Rublev, who has 10. Uh, those are the four guys who are in double digits. And then, of course, this is now, by winning a title here in 2021, the sixth straight season, he's won, an, uh, he's won at least one ATP title. In terms of the longest active streaks, Djokovic has 16 straight seasons, including this year. Nadal's at 17. If he wins one this year, he'll be at 18. Team at 6. If he wins one this year. He's at seven. Yeah, I mean, the profile is there. There's going to be 10 minutes in every match where you think, oh my God, this guy could be the greatest tennis player of all time just by his physical skills, I'm saying. Physical skills. I'm talking purely tennis, not the best regarded tennis player of all time, including his off the court, but I'm talking purely from a physical standpoint, what he can do on a tennis court. Look, he's 31-10 and 10 in his last 52. Six of his losses are either to Djokovic or Medvedev. Uh, the other ones are to Team, Sinner, Murray in that ugly first match back post-New York, and then uh, to Sasha Bublik in Rotterdam a few weeks ago. Three titles over that stretch of time as well. The U.S. Open final, Australian Open quarterfinals, where in my opinion, he came closest to actually knocking off Novak Djokovic in this year's Australian Open I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to say it, it just works. It works. That's enough. I feel like that's enough on Alex Zira for Pass. I mean, he played so well to start that set, but Zverev just worked him physically. He kept him moving side to side. His shot tolerance for Tsitsipas was so decisive against Musetti and then played a little passive but found his footing in that third set against FAA. I mean, Tsitsipas was great this week, and you look for Stefanos now, 30-13 and in his last 52, another final here. I thought he was... Really, you know, that win over FAA for him in the quarterfinals was an exceptional level. Uh, and FAA can make Tsitsipas uncomfortable because big serve, big forehand. But, you know, unfortunately uh, for, I suppose, uh, Felix, Tsitsipas was just – his plan B, his plan C is becoming better and better because he's gotten so much better as a mover. And 
it just allows him to do more things. He can play a little defense. He's confident now swinging through that backhand, even when he's seven feet behind the baseline, and his on-the-run forehand is so uh, impressive, and of course, his ability to move forward continues to be impressive. I just think Tsitsipas is rounding out his skill set really well, and he and Rublev, all these young guys, continue to get better physically, and that's the most impressive thing, because now they're 23, 24, 25. There's some muscle behind their skill set, and it's a really scary thing for the rest of the game. So again, it was a really high level of tennis all week long in Acapulco. Shout out to Dom Kopfer, by the way, who uh, now 16 and 15 since the start of 2019 in ATP level matches. You look for him now in his career here uh, for in terms of the semifinals he's made at the ATP level here in Acapulco. He makes his first as he plays a really nice quarterfinal match to beat Cam Nori in straight sets. Nori just didn't have a weapon to hurt him and Kofer was the ability, uh, had a better ability to hit through the court, go big down the line after long physical rallies. On the Lorenzo Musetti piece, we did a full next-gen podcast on him. I feel like I've talked about him so frequently. He's a stud. I mean, are you look at the, the wins he put together this week to beat Schwartzman, then Tiafo 7-6 in the third, follow that up by straight-up out-athleting Grigor Dimitrov in a 4-6 quarterfinal that had everything, folks. Shot-making, athleticism, on-the-run talent, incredible hands at the net, drop shots, and Lorenzo Musetti loves that drop shot, folks. But for him to have this sort of success this week, first ATP semifinal, <laughs> to do it, excuse me, on a hard court to beat the caliber of players he did back to back to back. You know, now Musetti's inside the top 100 for the first time in his career, up to number 92 for the 19-year-old. He's not going to be leaving for the next decade, folks. So uh, get ready to hear the name Lorenzo Musetti quite frequently over the next few seasons. Last note on the ATP action, because again, we finally had a couple of 500s uh, to examine. We had Dubai and Doha for the women. Now we're starting to, you know, we just had the swing for the men pre-Miami. My question to all of you listeners, is it better to have reached in your career seven ATP finals and 11 semifinals, but have won no titles at the age of 21? Or is it better to reach two finals in 12 semifinals and have one title? Who am I comparing here when I say this? Of course, I'm comparing the Canadians, FAA and Shapovalov. So much seems to always be made of the fact that FAA has yet to win a title. Well, A, he's reached five more finals than Denis Shapovalov have. B, Shapovalov's only reached one more semifinal than him. And again, Shapovalov's got the one title, uh, yet FAA doesn't have any yet. Because Denis Shapovalov has lost so many more semifinal matches, it seems like it's not held against him. And you look at the actual players Shapovalov have lo- has lost to in those semifinals, and you know, it's been a gauntlet, right? It's losses to guys like Medvedev, Zverev twice, Federer, and Rublev, but... You know, there's also a loss to Cranobusta. I see a loss to Hercats, although I believe that was a doubleheader in Winston-Salem. The loss to Lloyd Harris here this week. And, you know, you look for the two of them. Chapeau 19-13 and 13 in his last 52. FAA 19-14 and 14 in his last 52. Chapeau 19-29 and 29 against top 20 opponents in his career. FAA 11-17. and 17. I don't understand why there's a hoopla made about FAA, but we all feel comfortable 
with Denis Shapovalov and his progression? Like, why can't we just feel exceedingly comfortable about both? Why can't we say they've both been phenomenal in their young career? They're both a little one-dimensional, but both have showed the ability to dominate on serve and just hit their opponents off the court and control their own destiny, and thus they have that Grand Slam winning sort of upside. Can we just agree on that for both of them and not stress over the fact that FA hasn't won a title yet? Because I promise, folks, the title is coming Anyways, that's your roundup of the ATP action. want to quickly rip through the WTA action. Daria Kasakina, fantastic week of play for her in St. Petersburg. She earns her second title of the season, now 24-11 in her last 52. Phenomenal week for her. Wins over Tossin, Sasnovich, Kudermatova, and Kuznetsova before she knocks off Gasparian, who just was a little bit wounded in that final. 6-3-2-1 before Gasparian had to retire. I mean, for Kasakina, again, 24 and 11 in her last 52. She's back up to number 42 in the world. She's won two titles here to start the season, and it's all been on hard courts. And of course, for her, her big breakthrough came at that 2018 French Open. That was how she achieved a top 10 ranking when she was only 21 years old. And that's the craziest part, folks. Daria Kasakina, only 23. And just her ability, her movement is exceptional. Her ability to move the ball around the court with her forehand is exceptional. She's just really, really good. And so, again, for uh, for Daria Kasakina, just continues to show a really fantastic level here to start the season. Really looking forward to seeing her continue to compete throughout the rest of this year. And again, uh, she pulled out of Miami, unfortunately, but she's played so much tennis here to start the season. You look uh, thus far here in 2021. She's already played 19 matches. You can understand why she wants to rest her body up a little bit back inside the top 50 and now in control of her own schedule for the rest of the year. Now, Gasparian was incredible uh, all week long. She knocked off Savannah Reva and uh, Alexandrova in the quarterfinals and semifinals, respectively, just able to play power tennis that really, really fun to watch. Uh, you know, Zvana Reva was great this week. Kuznetsova was great this week. Kudermatova continues to just lose tough three-set matches, but I'm telling you, folks, she's right there against anyone. It was a really fun week of play in St. Petersburg and then in Monterey, and I apologize for ripping through these folks, but unfortunately, I just didn't have the chance to watch as much WTA action as I would have liked this week, but we'll talk more WTA on tomorrow's Miami Preview Podcast. But Layla Fernandez, whose praises I've been singing for quite a bit of time now, she's 28 and 14 since the start of the 2020 season. And finally, it was always when, not if. Well, she has her first WTA level title of her career. She wins, oh, as she knocks off defending champion, or I should say last week's Guadalajara champion, Sarah Cerebes Tormo in the semifinal, knocks off Victoria Golubic in the final. All straight set victories for her this week over Vandewey, Kutseva, Kuzmova, Cerebes Tormo, and Golubic. Now, is that the toughest run to the, a title? No. Absolutely not. Golubic, excuse me. But is that the toughest run to a title? No, but guess what? She beat everyone she's supposed to beat. She moves the ball around so well. She's so decisive. She's so locked in. She never wavers too high or low. She's just exceptional, folks. She really, really is. And that was such a good win for her over Cerebus Tormo, who threw everything at her and made the match physical, but she just didn't have enough weapons to hurt Fernandez. And I think Fernandez being the lefty attacking that one or that slice backhand that Cerebus Tormo likes to hit so frequently, you know, anytime Cerebus Tormo hit the slice, Fernandez was in attack mode. And that's so impressive to see from someone who still, you forget, uh, only 18 years old. And so for Leila Fernandez, again, inside the top 75 for the first time in her her career. That is not a surprise, and it's only up from here. 
Worth noting, by the way, and this tweet comes from David Kane, Clara Tawson defeated Layla Fernandez in the Junior Australian Open final back in 2019. Two years later, both of them have their first WTA titles. We get overshadowed by the Sviantec's and Drescu's Osaka's of the world, but there are so many talented young women coming up the WTA pipelines right now. The next decade of women's tennis is certain to be phenomenal. But again, that is your action from last week on the ATP and WTA levels. We are going to cover all the challenger and college levels this week on the Great Shot podcast, so be on the lookout for those. Of course, if you missed any of our conversations from the Cleveland Challenger, you can find them all both on our YouTube channel or on the Cracked Interviews podcast. A shout-out, as always, to super producers Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in, day out, as well as to our friends at Midwest Sports who make it all possible. Go to MidwestSports.com, use that promo code CR15. But with that in mind, for our wonderful super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.